uh, spoke about uh, maybe taking a greater step of expression of enthusiasm when we are in corporate worship. And I heard Jason say like five times, made blameless. And nobody said, amen. Isn't that the coolest thought? Think about that. No, no charge left against you in Christ. Woo! Yeah, come on now. Come on. I mean, to tell you, if that doesn't smile, you can go, oh man, I wanted to grab my brother's guitar and just start thrashing. It was so cool. That was so cool. Man, no record of wrongs. Boom. Man, I love that. Wow, today we embark on a, on a five-week adventure uh, through this conversation of hard obedience. Uh, just setting that up a little bit, what are we talking about? Um, uh, those moments in life where you're, 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 you're reading your Bible and you read something and you go, oh no, 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 God, you can't be serious. You're not asking me to do that. That's when we've run into one of these moments. We'll be in a situation, a circumstance, and we're praying, and you know, all of a sudden there's this, there's this nudge in our hearts, and then it gets a little more intense. You guys know what I'm talking about? All of a sudden it's like a, okay, and it's not heartburn, yeah, but it feels like fire. It's God. He's saying, listen, this is your moment. I'm asking you to do this. I'm asking you to say this. I'm asking you to stand here. I'm asking you to, to say something or I'm asking you to hold still. And you're like, oh, it's so hard. In those moments, it's going to require the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to give us both the desire and the power to do that which pleases God. Hard obedience. And this... This is a reality we are all going to experience. And the question is, are we prepared? Are we willing? The five stories we're looking at uh, over the next five weeks, their answer when pushed and pressed up against that hard wall of hard obedience, their answer was, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Because you see, there's two words that never go together. You ready? No, Lord. Those two words never go together. So before we jump in and consider our brother Noah, let's pause for a word of prayer. Father, I thank you that in this old world, it is your intention for our lives to be significant within it. Sometimes we feel so tiny and so small, a, a little blip on a big dust ball in the middle of the universe just floating around, and nothing could be further from the truth. Your, your intention your, in, in creating us is filled with eternal significance. 
that right here, right now, in these moments, this short little life we live on planet Earth, it's that point of decision about where I will spend eternity. And not just me, but all the people around me. And there is both a privilege and a responsibility in knowing that I can choose eternity with you and so can they and that you desire me to make that choice and you desire to use me in that to encourage others as well. And Lord, that's going to bring us to this point in our walk with you of hard obedience. And I pray that uh, there would be an encouragement and a challenge uh, to each of us as we uh, consider this reality and that which uh, it, it means uh, in our world and in our walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. I, I did not get my uh, undergraduate degree from a Bible school or a Christian college, very, very much secular school, and uh, as such provided a, a really... Uh, an incredible opportunity for me in several different situations and circumstances uh, to, uh, to be challenged, and that was good for me. Um, one such time, I was a sophomore, and I'm in a speech class, and the speech teacher is splitting us up into little groups, and each group is given a certain topic uh, that they must do a group presentation upon. And it just so happened that my group was given the subject of human sexuality. And within that subset of that title, we all have different, different things we had to do to present, and you guys know the drill. And one of them was the religious perspective. And as soon as I saw that on that sheet, I thought, God, you're not asking me to do that, are you? <laughs> this is like the last thing. This is the last place, the last subject that I really want to talk about in my sophomore and college speech. And he goes, yeah, that's exactly what I'm asking you to do. Oh. So the day came and our group began to do their presentation. And it was very innocuous and boring and half the class was sound asleep. And until it was my turn. <laughs> Holy cow. I couldn't imagine this today, but there I was then. And I just simply, succinctly, just kind of presented a, a biblical worldview. That God and his grace has blessed us with sexuality. And that his intent is for that to be enjoyed by a husband and his wife. Outside of that does not come with his blessing nor his protection. Just, there you go. Holy cow, I think a nuclear bomb dropped off in that class. I mean, people, their faces changed, red and twisted and venom, and, and it was all at me. I said, Lord, why did you ask me to do this? There's nothing I'm going to say here that's going to be any, any, ah. no, and I, I, I think there were a couple other Jesus followers in the room, but they were doing this. <laughs> they wouldn't make eye contact with me. Thank you very much for your support. 
wow, that was rough. There I was alone in the midst of that. And you can only imagine how that's dialed up, right? You know, since when I was in college. And so I said, I said, okay, Lord, here I am. I tried to process that conversation, that moment, many, many times in my life. And it was one of those times where God asked me to do something very hard. And I was all alone by myself. Being by yourself is kind of hard enough, right? You're the only one with a certain voice. And then you're like up front and daggers are out. That, wow. Felt very alone. It was rough. It was hard. But it was what I needed to experience to be able to understand and to love on people uh, after that experience, to hear, to take into account, so that there could be a position of mm, kindness in disagreement, right? Mm, truth and love supposed to go together. But my aloneness in that moment was nothing compared to uh, uh, the gentleman in our story today couldn't even remotely come close to what he experienced. His name is Noah. We are told that of every single human being on planet Earth, he was the only one who was right with God. One. Nobody else was in the class even kind of hiding in the corner. He was solo. He was singular. The only one who was in this place of being right before God. His aloneness was deep. It was intense. And it was long. His was an extremely hard obedience. Let's read the story. We begin in Genesis 6. 9, we'll read to 7, 5. Now God saw that the earth, uh, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on the earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. Noah was the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world, for everyone on earth was corrupt. And God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out along, the, along with the earth. Build a large boat or build an ark from cypress or gopher wood, depending on your translations, and waterproof it with tar inside and out. Then, construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. Make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Leave an 18-inch opening below the roof all the way around the boat. Put the door on the side and build three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, and upper. Look, I am about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die, but I will confirm my covenant with you. 
So enter the boat, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring a pair of every kind of animal, a male and a female, into the boat with you to keep them alive during the flood. Pairs of every kind of bird, every kind of animal, every kind of small animal that scurries along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. And be sure to take on board enough food for your family and for all the animals. So Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. And when everything was ready, the Lord said to Noah, Go into the boat with all your family. For among all the people of the earth, I can see that you alone are righteous. Take with you seven pairs, male and female, of each animal I have approved for eating and sacrifice, and take one pair of each of the others. Also, take seven pairs of every kind of bird. There must be a male and a female in each pair to ensure that all life will survive on the earth after the flood. Seven days from now, I will make the rains pour down on the earth, and it will rain for 40 days and 40 nights until I have wiped from the earth all the living things I have created. And so Noah did everything as the Lord commanded him. Now in the New Testament, we have several references to Noah's story. And by the way, none of these references in the New Testament ever speak of Noah's flood as a parable, as a, 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 a fairy tale of sorts. No, it's always spoken of as a, an event that occurred many years ago when the world had become consumed with the evil and there was one man who God chose to save and his family and all the rest were judged in a deluge. Hebrews 11 verse 7 is one of those and it allows and it provides a lot of uh, uh, insight to the story we just read. Hebrews 11, 7, it says, It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah was decreed righteous because of his faith. He believed God. How do I know he believed God? He built an ark. And in that, he was received, then received the righteousness that comes from faith. And he was recognized as such before building the ark. And yet here he is in this place, all alone, being told by God himself... Build an ark. Now, by any standard of the word hard, this, this command given to him is just off the charts. There's no way for us to fathom this. Uh, this, this ark, basically a barge, was one and a half football fields long, nearly as wide, and it was 45 feet tall, about three to four stories in length. The man had no chainsaw. He had no, no circular saw, no tool of any kind, no convenience of a pulley that he may have been able to rig up 
to tie beams to, to get up to three, four stories. We read nothing that anybody helped him, although perhaps we could surmise the three sons contributed in some way. Every tree had to be sawn down. Every tree had to be removed of its bark. Every tree had to be somehow cut into planks in ways I can't even begin to figure out how they could do it. The structure, we don't know how long it took. We, just, we do know that by the time Noah was 500 years old, it's kind of old, really. By the time he was 500, he had his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And then we know that the rain started at when he was 600 years old. So that's, that, that's all we get for timelines. So did the building start before all three of the sons were born? We don't know. Some speculate that it took anywhere from 80 to 120 years. Did you hear that? <laughs> 80 to 120 years for him to be able to assemble this particular floating barge called an ark. And we know that at least at two points in time, God had to step into, in a miraculous way, into the situation to help Noah. The first was when he called all the animals. I can't whistle, but God did and all the animals came. It's kind of a miracle, by the way. And then, and then he says, you, get, you all get in there, and then I'm going to shut the door. God shut the door. Noah's task was, by any stretch, horribly, incredibly, immeasurably hard. Imagine the questions. We, we don't, we're not told that people harassed him, but we could certainly imagine it, couldn't we? What are you doing, Noah? Building an ark. <laughs> what are you building an ark for? Well, it's going to flood. Yeah. And after a few decades, he just became the crazy old man at the end of the street. Anything and every way that we can, we can choose to describe or, or, or define hard, this was, this was under that. Noah was there, full weight of hardness. But you know what? In that hard obedience, Noah learned something that you and I need to learn. And this is all you hear today. Great. Noah learned this. When I stand where God tells me to stand, I'll still be standing when the waters recede. If I stand where God tells me to stand, I'll still be standing when the waters recede. It's the only one in his family left standing at the end of the day. You and I are going to be put and challenged in places of hardness. But know this, at the end of the day, you're standing where God wants you to stand, 
you will still be standing. And you will have made an incredible impact. As we see the story unfold, we see that heart obedience does a, a, a whole bunch of things. And this, of course, is not an exhaustive conversation of this, of this circumstance, of this man's experience. But hopefully a platform for you to further engage. We find in verse 17 that God was telling Noah, Look, I'm about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. And we were told in Hebrews that this was something that had never happened before. And so we see that hard obedience is going to come to this place over and over and over again in our lives where we are going to have to choose to enter into obedience to God in spite of the worldly thinking all around us. You see... You know, if you're just thinking worldly and God says build an ark because of a flood, you're saying stuff like, God, there's never been a flood. That's crazy. Why would I do that? It doesn't make any sense. And, and again and again and again. Hey, God, you know, you're asking me to, 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 to wait until I'm married to experience physical intimacy? What kind, of a, what kind of a command is that? That's crazy. Everybody knows you don't do that. What do we do? We, we appeal to the world. We appear to the world's thinking, not to the, the standards and the instructions of the Word of God. Because it's hard. Really, really hard to stand when the current is coming this way and God is asking you to go that way. Heart obedience is undeterred by the worldly thinking. And this is so important because if we, if we remain processing decisions, processing the word of God and the convictions of the Holy Spirit through worldly lenses, we will immediately choose out of the hard obedience because it doesn't make any sense. Some friends of ours... God convicted them several years ago. Hey, you're to give your entire 401k away. I said, what? I said, yep, we're giving it all away. Right in the middle of life. And they gave away every single penny. People talk to us, ask us, we say this. Hey, our hope is not in a savings account. Our hope in Jesus and I'm going to do what he tells me to do even when it's hard mm -hmm. no we don't use the world to decide whether or not we should do or we should continue in or we should stop or we should say or we should act or what and no, no, we go to the word of God we go in our prayer to the spirit of God to lead and convict Several I know in our community of faith, uh, 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 one spouse or the other said, hey, you know what? I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to stay at home with the kids. And the world would say, what are you thinking? That's crazy. Why would you do that? Man, you can make a lot of money. And on and on and on it goes. How do we prepare for those moments? How do we prepare? 
when the hard obedience comes knocking at our door. Same way we prepare for all things spiritual. Spend time with Jesus. There's something very, very, you can see it over and over again in, in relationships, and it's the same with our relationship with God. We trust people we know. We trust people we know. And, and, and if I don't know Jesus, am I going to trust him? If, I don't, if I'm not sitting at the table with him on a regular basis, conversing, wrestling through his word with him, getting to know him in his heart, seeing the depth of his love, seeing the scars on his hands and on his head from the thorns, will, will I grow to trust him? No. No, I won't. That's why it's so important for us to grow to know him more and more and more so that when he speaks, we say, that's hard. And he says, you know me. You know me. Trust me. Okay. Okay. We come to uh, uh, chapter 7, verse 1. And again, reflecting back on how Hebrews helps us understand this, is that hard obedience has some impact in the lives around us. See, because our faith, our walk with God, never is just about us, ever. You've heard me say that a million times, you're going to hear me say it a million more. We are not experiencing and walking with God in a vacuum. We are experiencing and walking with God in a connection, a, an incredible network of relationships, of experiences, and people of all kinds. And we are to have an impact. Jesus said salt. He said light. That kind of an impact. And we see here that Noah, he was, he was confronted with an extremely difficult task. And he went for it and he said, okay, I'm in. And when everything was ready, he did everything that the Lord had commanded in verse 22 of 6 and 7. When everything was ready, the Lord said to him, go into the boat with all your family. For among all the people of the earth, I can see that you are alone or righteous. Hebrews 11, 7 describes that decision saying that they were saved. His family was saved as a result of his hard obedience. i tell you something. Because of the decisions that you've made, are making and will make in the future, in line with God, hard as they were, are, will be, God will use that decision and he will tug on the hearts of others and draw them into the kingdom of God. Your hard obedience is a powerful witness for Christ without even a word. Noah says he preached, he preached. Um, we don't have any recorded conversations. He, he bore witness. What was his sermon? His sermon was this enormous ark in the middle of the field. Every day for who knows how many years it sat there proclaiming, proclaiming. 
Our obedience is a proclamation that salvation can be found in Christ. But you know what? It's also something else. In 2 Peter, Peter was talking about this. See if I can find it this time. There it is. So God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah and the seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. It's a warning. So God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. You see, your hard obedience isn't, isn't uh, uh, exclusively a tool for God to, 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 uh, to bring salvation to others. It is also used by God as a warning. And of course, ultimately, the desire is that a person would respond to that warning. Absolutely. We're told in, in the Gospel of John that the light came, Jesus, but the people loved the darkness more than the light. Didn't, lo didn't love the light. And so our obedience becomes a warning. Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection are a warning. Pay attention. Listen. Was, was there any, any hard obedience harder than Jesus? Not even close. And yet he was willing because, it, because, because of it, some were saved. And because of it, there will be no excuse on judgment day. Everybody has been warned. Everybody. When we come to this uh, issue of saving, it is, it is incumbent upon us, as Peter would tell us, to be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. So, you are in a place where God's calling you to hard obedience and people say, well, wait a minute, what are you doing that for? It's not like everybody else. What are you thinking? Are you prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have? We need to be. Absolutely need to be. Then this, this, this one here, a warning to others, because you see, God isn't just dealing with us when he gives us a hard command. He's not just dealing with us. He's dealing with every life around us all at the same time. And our minds are so small, we have such a hard time with that. But he's dealing with others. He's dealing with others. In your life, your testimony, your heart obedience will be a warning. Do people like to be warned? Do we really enjoy the example of somebody who's made a choice? that looks so much different, and we're like, oh, I should have done that too. And a lot of times, if the heart is hard, what is the response to the one who is making that decision, that choice to live in hard obedience? You will be attacked. You've got to count on it. You've got to brace yourself for that. You're going to make choices that are different just by the fact that you're making different choices. You're not going to be, you're going to be left out of certain activities uh, from, the, from you know, all the folks at work. You're going to have 
You're gonna, you're gonna be pushed by people. You're like, what in the world? I would never would have expected them to give me grief about this choice and this decision. Does it, and it's gonna catch you by surprise. But now you know. Now you know. You choose to stand where God tells you to stand. You'll still be standing when the waters recede. Oh, but make sure you, make sure you know that there's going to be a lot of smoke and fire coming your way too. You ready for that? And you, you don't, you're not even talking to them. You're not, it doesn't even involve them, but they're going to shoot at you anyway. And then, and then you're going to have that incredible moment where you get to see God bring somebody else up on the boat. <laughs> the lifeboat of Jesus. Because you stood. They're both coming. As a Jesus follower, when we stand where God tells us to stand, we'll be standing when the flood waters recede. Where are you and I standing today? In that place of hard obedience? God's calling us to be there? What is it? Just know that there's a promise and a victory that comes with that. And that there is an experience of God that you will never experience outside of that hard obedience let's pray father thank you for your word thank you that it is alive and sharp thank you that you are patient with all of us and we have so much to learn grow us up i pray in jesus name amen